Welcome to Season 2 of the DOPA Podcast, fueling conversations around creative wellness and turning negative barriers into positive tools for mental success. Brought to you by the Department of Proactiveness and your host, Alex Normanton. Joining me today is Rod Ben Zaev, facilitator at Think Creative School of Leadership, Amsterdam. We discuss how to pivot from improvisation to storytelling and how to move away from a fake it till you make it mentality. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me into your home this morning. Thank you for being here. On what could possibly be described as the wettest day in the last few months. There's a lot of that to come probably. Yeah, it's officially autumn. Yeah. Summer is over. Skies are dark. Yeah, but positive things are coming. Absolutely. I think and believe in. Yeah. Um, Yeah, we're here to talk today about really how to navigate from improvisation to storytelling and how to really enable people to move away from a fake it till you make it mentality, plus some practical tools on how to unlock a compelling use of narrative that delivers results. It's a big session. There's a lot to cover. A lot to cover. And yeah, I think we met online actually um, a while ago for an ADCN session about the art of storytelling and why that's really important and really felt a connection to you in terms of this topic um, but also on a personal level felt like you would be really inspiring to talk to and just offer a slightly different perspective on faking it till you make it how improvisation can be linked potentially into that as a tool to ultimately unlock more genuine storytelling. Uh, thank you. It's great to be here. And I should say you look fantastic in real life. We just met 30 <laughs> minutes ago and uh, very similar to your on-screen persona, but there's more of you. Oh, that's good because yeah. I did shoot that image with California sun filters and had a ton of retouch into it. <laughs> but uh, it's good to know that I still got it. Yeah, you still got it without the California filters, with the opposite of California filters, which is Amsterdam in the autumn. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so no one makes a filter for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's called dark. <laughs> well, yeah, indeed. Kicking off, I mean, this session is going to be quite loose in some kind of way, but there was there's a little bit of structure in there just to kind of keep us on track and time. I'm really excited about what potentially might happen because obviously the art of improvisation Anything could happen at any given moment. I'm just uh, curious to know when the chimp arrives. And, uh, the chimp, I, I can tell you, he's scheduled to arrive at a certain time, but I, I don't want to spoil the surprise. <laughs> there will be a, a doorbell ringing at some point during the podcast and the Excellent. chimp will arrive. Excellent. Yeah. What do you think has given rise to the fake it till you make it mentality within culture? I, I've been aware of this phrase for quite a while. I've heard it in creative agencies. And, and it seems to be something that's used almost as a cover-up excuse. But also I'm curious to know maybe there's something deeper attached to that phrase and that mentality. So why do you think that is? First of all, in terms of culture, I would say in the last 20 years, something exponential has happened, which is reality TV and social networks. And in both cases, we have been privy to uh, platforms where we have to show ourselves in some way. The idea of a perfected finished product has changed as well. 
So that's one thing. You have like a lot of these imperfect moments that make reality shows what they are and they create a certain narrative that I have to show my process, that I have to tell people the vulnerable side of me, that I have to prove myself. And you have all these X factor moments of like, oh my God, I can't believe this person had this talent. They just needed to, 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 yeah. to get to the right place. And social networks do the same. Um, but I think the real thing to unpack there is about how we treat vulnerability. So I don't know if I fully agree with this notion of fake it till you make it. I think that there is the, the, the breakdown of that is actually experiment until you make it. It's take little steps mm -hmm. and experiment and, and put yourself out there. Eat. And if you're feeling some fear, uh, around it, that's a good thing because you're feeling something. Mm -hmm. Try little things out and then hopefully you're getting some feedback so that it keeps your progress, your forward progress. You know, the other side of fake it till you make it is the word fake. I think people today want authenticity and they want to see that yeah. coming out. Yeah, I think it's interesting you're saying you want to reframe fake it into experiment or even play. I like that. Play is a great word. Play till you make it. I think often there is a negativity attached to being fake, as you say, and people are looking for those authentic connections. Sometimes it's used as a phrase, almost as an excuse to cover up something what you're ultimately feeling inside, as in, I don't know, actually, I don't know what to do, or I don't know where this is heading. Yeah, fake it till you make it. It's almost like this throwaway token phrase to go, oh, it's okay then, that, that's fine rather than just being open and transparent and saying, I don't know. And I, honestly, I don't think it really works because we as humans have amazing antennas and we can detect authenticity. We may not be able to phrase it in that sense, but we can always tell when someone's being real or fake and, and that draws us to that person if they're being authentic or, or, or keeps us away if they're being fake. Yeah, for sure. Is there anything else you want to attach to that in terms of the psychological safety point you mentioned? Yeah, that's a, that's a big part of it. I think a lot of the work that I do starts and ends with the feeling of psychological safety. The idea that you feel comfortable to, to speak and you don't feel that the things that you say will be held against you. It's something that's very important when we work on team dynamics, when we try to get deeper, uh, when we do work on storytelling or innovation or whatever, that it's, it's, that's a starting point. When we work in organizations that don't have psychological safety, we sense it and the quality of the work is, is much lower. And I think this drive to fake it until you make it also comes from a lack of psychological safety. If we feel comfortable and safe in our environment, then mm -hmm. uh, we don't have to fake it. We can just be ourselves. Yeah. I always like to bring in the work of uh, Arthur Aaron. I had to look him up just now. So that <laughs> we took a little edit pause. I'm going to be super authentic. If you heard a, like, a smooth transition like, oh, wow, he knows Arthur Aaron's name by heart. No, I had to look it up just now. He's a professor in the US and he did this amazing study where he tried to get strangers to fall in love with each other. The idea of giving them sets of questions that progressively get more intimate. He argues that if you answer these particular set of 36 questions, you're guaranteed to fall in love with anyone. And I like using a lot of these questions, especially from the first set when I work with groups. You know, one example would be, I'm just going to ask you right now, like first question on the list is if you could have dinner with anyone in the world, living or dead, real or fake, you could travel back in time if you wanted to, who would that be and why? Freddie Mercury, because I 
kick myself that I never saw Queen live. I think he lived an incredibly interesting, vivacious life. And I would like to know how he balanced the art of being a lyrical, musical genius with his shy personal life. That's wonderful. Great answer. Uh, my answer, by the way, is uh, I'd like to have dinner with uh, my dad. He's, uh, he's alive. He's 79 now. And uh, I'd like to have dinner with him when he was 30. So I'd, I'd get to know who he was before he had me. When I ask this question in groups, two things happen. One is uh, no one wants to answer it in the group usually. Mostly they don't feel there's enough psychological safety when I first start working with a group. But then I let them talk in small groups and small pairs or in groups of three and like every, everything opens up suddenly. Yeah. And then when you ask the room again, people usually start sharing. But there's also a visceral reaction for some people where they say, I'm not going to share. And what they're really saying is I don't feel psychologically safe enough to be vulnerable in front of this group. And I think vulnerability and handling that vulnerability is really key in mm -hmm. a lot of the work that I do, both in improvisation and storytelling and the innovation work and the leadership work. I think that's really interesting. The fake it till you make it psychological response is linked through to not feeling psychologically safe but it's almost used as a mask to cover over the fact that you don't feel comfortable to share, be real, be open, or even be honest, which I think, yeah, in a creative setting, ironically is becoming more and more powerful to be open and being real and honest rather than covering up and faking it and being someone you're not. I find that really interesting just as a parallel. As you were saying that, I was just thinking about so many moments that I've witnessed through storytelling, you know, you could hear a pin drop in the room because there's total silence. And total silence is really good when someone tells a story. I'm talking about no coughing, no shifting of chairs, like a room filled with 300 people, hearing that authenticity come out, that's when we tune in. And equally, there are moments where someone up, up there is faking it till they make it, and that never gets that mm -hmm. level of engagement. So I, I think humans are very, very savvy. We're so savvy about the information that's coming our way more than ever before. That's, that's pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. And we know how to handle it, how to categorize it. And those moments of authenticity, it's strange how few there are actually. But when, we, when we're there mm -hmm. for it, we're really there. But it does take that attitude of being vulnerable in order to be real yeah and confident yeah in your own skin yeah thematically speaking vulnerability the links to the concept and art of improvisation and you have a rich history in having been a stand-up comic as well as writing numerous tv shows and presenting you know the art of storytelling here in amsterdam which is called mesrab my true story at mesrab there's a load of character traits, I would say, that was wrapped up into that as a theme. How do you think improvisation can be used as a tool to unlock self-assurance, confidence, and really the ability to face your fears and feeling safe within your own skin? A colleague and friend of mine, Robert Wolf, says that when people ask him, what, you know, what should I do to facilitate better? What's my next move? What, what course should I take? The first thing he says, and I am repeating it now, is take an improv class. I think that with improvisation, you learn so many things that give you the confidence to be okay with 
making stuff up as we go along. And ultimately, philosophically, at the highest level of abstraction, that's what we're doing in life. We're just making stuff up. I mean, there's a plan and sometimes we follow it and sometimes we diverge from it, but we're living in a complex world where we're constantly improvising, constantly making stuff up. So improv just brings it to the forefront. It gives you so many different skills from the basic skills of divergent thinking. So basic rule in improv is saying yes and to anything that's uh, given to you on stage, agreeing, but not just agreeing and leaving your partner alone with the agreement, actually adding something, truly listening to what they're saying and adding something to this equation. And that's how you make stuff up as you go along. Are you talking about when you're with someone else in terms of a- A scene. Yeah, a scene or a double act for four or five people. You're really bouncing around off each other. Yeah, completely, yeah. And of course that translates into, I think, every interaction that we have. I mean, when we're trying to make stuff up, yes and will help us get there more than anything else. Mm -hmm. It gives us the automatic approval. There's no criticism, everything's possible. And you're just slowly advancing the story with, I think slowly is a very important mm. element in it as well. You don't want to jump too fast. That's one thing I think improv teaches you to look at the things that we find as negativities of being vulnerable in a positive way. So for example, mistakes are one of the best things that can happen in improv and also in the world of innovation. Mistakes are usually, when we talk about out of the box, that's that moment. And it's what we do with these mistakes that uh, ultimately contributes to it being registered after the fact as an out of the box moment. If we acknowledge them, accept them and treat them as like these miracles that come our way, uh, then we're more likely to be there. But if we if we put our body in in shame, uh, we usually shift forward with our body because we're taught, you know, in the mm -hmm. school system that making mistakes is a bad thing. We're more likely to then go into this fake it till you make mm -hmm. it mode. Like it never happened. Let's continue. Mm -hmm. uh, that wasn't part of the script of me making up this this life. I think there's some interesting things about building a phrase into your narrative. Be on stage, be in a creative setting, critique or a review or brainstorming session. To use the phrase, yes and, rather than, yeah, but, you know, the, the two opposite ends of the scale, aren't they? One's like closing you down so nothing's going to really magically happen. And the other one is empowering and opening things up in order to see what might happen yeah it's one word that changes everything the but versus the end yeah it's a mindset that goes along with it it's a feeling of safety versus a feeling of i'm being judged or someone else is always thinking i have a better idea sometimes that's what the yes but means mm -hmm. and of course there's places for it i'm not saying your entire life should be uh, saying yes and to things there are mm -hmm. moments where we can diverge and create opportunities and there are moments where we can reflect on these opportunities and converge and that's when maybe having a more critical approach is useful and if you've established the psychological safety if people feel that they can be vulnerable then they will accept that criticism far better and the criticism won't be personal mm -hmm. it's all going to be about Let's make sure that story makes sense. Let's make sure the product that we're launching makes sense, et cetera. It's, the ego is taken out of it once you're feeling safe. It's interesting when you are with people who almost use those two phrases together. So it's like, yeah, that's interesting. But 
you know and that's like hang on a minute it has to be one way or the other rather than in the middle because then you're just adding confusion to a conversation i can certainly uh resonate with that i think everybody can they've all had these moments where they said something and then you hear the butt i think a couple of things happen there there's also lack of vulnerability on the on the side that's saying yes but there's also a lack of listening at that moment uh maybe a lack of confidence that they can allow a, a story to come out to not immediately comment on it or to not immediately have to justify it or you know be o being okay with just letting it be for a bit and and seeing well what can we do with it now but you know again some situations don't allow that we you know we're busy people there's time constraints sometimes we go into these meetings thinking we got to have a certain output by the end of the meeting and we're trying to advance it that way. So of course, real life comes along and, and sometimes dictates a different rhythm, but it's up to us to, I think, understand the basics. Mm -hmm. Just to expand on it a little bit, in this day and age when everyone's got like these scheduled Zoom teams meetings, like from you know 10 to 11, and then the next meeting starts at 11, and somehow these magical minutes between when you say goodbye to one meeting and say hello to the next meeting seem, seems to be at zero seconds right now, zero minutes and zero seconds. You're just supposed to switch. And what that creates is yeah. this, uh, you're constantly shifting into content because you feel like you're running behind. What we notice is better to go slow uh, first because you'll go faster later. So if you take some time to, yeah check in with people at the beginning. Even if you feel like, oh, it's a crowded meeting, gotta get things done, you're more likely to increase that feeling of vulnerability, the safety, so that you'll have a really productive meeting and people will be present for it, which is such a big deal. Like, I think yeah. for a lot of these meetings, people are, are half present, which is not really being present. There should be a buffer built in almost. Like who's scheduling these back-to-backs? Why aren't you looking at someone's agenda Give them five minutes to get a coffee, take a shower, yeah. go to the bathroom. I think the optimist in us, the uncalculating planner in us is is not giving mm. us the buffer because it's feeling that pressure. Again, maybe that pressure comes from a certain level, a certain degree of feeling unsafe, you know, making sure that I, I, I need to be there for the full hour. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I completely agree. I think it's it's really, really tricky. And I mean, there's a lot of science out there also that studies, you know, the output of these meetings. And there's a lot of proof that when we overfocus on uh, on the output, uh, it doesn't necessarily lead to better output. Mm -hmm. I always recommend people read about Google's project Aristotle. They spent a few years and several millions of dollars trying to understand what makes teams work better or what makes them produce better output and that people felt safe to speak up. Yeah. It's such a basic thing. And when they could spot that teams didn't have that, yeah. those teams didn't do so well, even if they were very talented. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They just didn't have the same level of output. Do you think there's a connection between the discipline of improvisation and the skills and training that goes into that and the creative and ideation process. Yeah, in any type of innovation, ideas need to get out there. You need to be in a divergent phase to get ideas out there. They could be great great ideas, terrible ideas, bad ideas, ideas that seem bad at first, but maybe if you give them some room, they might appear better. Ideas that, for example, technology isn't ready for, but technology is moving so quickly that technology can catch up. 
And then you go through converging and in converging, you select the best ones. And especially for divergent thinking, improv is phenomenal. It's, uh, it's just a great mindset to have. It's about really listening to what's happening. It's about paying attention, not just listening with your ears, but really watching, being really present with whatever is there, and then being in a safe enough environment to create new ideas. I mean, we could practice it right now if you want. We can do a little uh, little exercise. Yeah. I'd like you to just tell a story. You're going to make up a story. It's going to start off with once upon a time. Let's just say it's about a princess and you can just go from there, okay? Whenever I want, I can say a word. And you have to immediately use that word in your story. You have to immediately acknowledge it. We're working on that muscle. Doesn't matter if it makes sense or doesn't make sense. You just have to immediately drop that predictive text of where you were going with something and just immediately react to it. Let's see how it goes. So go ahead and start the story. Okay, so once upon a time, there was this beautiful princess and she lived in this incredible white castle. And one day she thought- Hot air balloon. I am bored of this castle, I need to get out of here. So I'm gonna take this hot air balloon trip that's been bucked lovingly by my father for my birthday and I'm gonna fly away to- Communism. A I'm gonna fly away to a distant land where communism is still prevalent in the country. Typhoon. However, on the way, this unbelievable typhoon came out of nowhere and started typhoon. to knock the balloon down in what can only be described as the best Thai food restaurant in Bolton in Northern England. And what turned out to be a, a quite traumatic experience turned into quite a lovely day. Rainbow. Because whilst I was munching on my spring rolls in the Thai food restaurant, this amazing pink rainbow came out of nowhere. And it's a rainbow that was one color, which I've never seen in my entire life. Fantastic. Well done. That was great. Whew. How was that for you? It was liberating. What happened? Um, it makes your brain have to speed up and think on the fly a little bit more. But also, once you've done about three or four, you're, you're comfortable with that feeling. Whereas on one and two, you're like, oh, this is scary. As you were saying, it's like a muscle. So the more you're exercising it, the more you're able to, to flip and chop and change and get creative. So I think it felt like the answers became more creative as the time went on. Yeah. And the story opened up yeah. rather than dropping this this word yeah because you're seeing the process happen improv is a lot about process mm -hmm. the process can lead to some pretty interesting output if you just shine a light on the process too what do you think are some of the mental barriers that improvisation can help creatives to develop and ultimately overcome it allows you to have maybe a toolbox of options to solve problems to come up with new ideas in our visioning sessions where people come up with ideas we start the sessions by asking people, where do you get your best ideas? So Alex, where do you get your best ideas? Uh, it depends how you categorize best, really. Uh -huh. When I stop thinking about it. Yeah. On a walk, shower, cycle, when your mind turns off. Exactly. And I think that's the main thing that improv teaches you is, is presence. If you can be present, then you are more confident when there's nothing. There's a great quote by Keith Johnston, who's considered like the, the father of modern day improv. First there's nothing, and then 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 there's nothing. You can keep going like that for a while, and then there's something. If you think about truly great ideas, that's usually what happens. If it's truly great, it'll happen like middle of the night, you'll get this idea after a lot of nothing, mm -hmm. or in the middle of a jog, or in the shower, or wherever, you'll, you'll get it somewhere, you'll get that something, but you have to be okay with having nothing. Having nothing, yeah. How do you use your skills and 
improvisation to step into that moment of the unknown more and more apart from just obviously doing it more and more but what would you say you could introduce to your headspace to step into that more quickly rather than oh man this is scary yeah i mean it's easy to say to people hey it's just going to be okay just you know just be yourself and go out there and i don't think that helps you if you're <laughs> standing in front of a group of people that you know you have to present and there's no psychological safety in the room and and you have to go out there and just rock it and this presentation has to work and all these pressures that we have yeah what can you do to feel safe with the people that are there can you introduce a couple of things that you would do to do that in a live setting i went into a, a crowd of i don't know 500 people in the in the publishing world and i just asked the person before like how long have they been seated here? And they told me, yeah, two hours. And I was supposed to go right up. The schedule says you got to start. The first thing I said was, let's take a bathroom break. And everybody <laughs> just smiled and we're so happy. I think it's really about tuning in to what the space is like, what the room needs. Yeah, reading the room. The reading the room. Yeah, and, and trusting your gut on that. Like you get mm -hmm. that with doing, just performing a lot. You start being more confident about the things that you say. There's an inner dialogue, that we, an inner monologue that we have that sometimes the volume on it is so loud before we go to speak. It's like, I got to be good. This has got to be great. I practice this. I got to be on time. I, I got the slide order right and you're missing out on the external yeah. cues that are coming your way you're not even noticing what's happening yeah. i mean practice helps for sure bombing helps i've bombed so many times and you know after a while you realize it's no big deal we're all still living everything's fine it lowers the volume on that inner monologue and then you can really pay attention to what is needed and then you can improvise more so maybe you came mm -hmm. in with a 30 slide deck and you realize, hey, actually I was listening. They know the first five slides or I can skip slide three and I don't have to talk about it. That's confidence that comes with listening to what the, the space needs, what the room needs. If you can be good at that, mm -hmm. you're gonna feel safer and they're gonna feel safer. Very much teaching you to adapt quicker and be aware of your own surroundings as well as yourself yeah. in order to pivot quicker rather than having a fixed agenda because you practiced it that way anything that changes the script of your originally intended presentation actually makes it feel more authentic those things are a blessing so this exercise we just did mm -hmm. it's called it's a gift the idea behind it is that any interruption can be treated as a positive thing mm -hmm. it's your response in that moment right it's your response that says that's amazing that thank you for mm -hmm. saying that or i'm going to use that or these moments make the yeah. the gathering unique they make the audience feel special, mm -hmm. that they're part of something real, as opposed to this could have been mailed to me, I could have seen <laughs> the video on YouTube, I'm seeing the same thing, so what's the point? Again, it's that muscle that you're trying to train to enable you to adapt and change and be flexible and open, yeah. which ultimately is about creativity. I, I think everyone has creativity inside them. I mean, we're all humans and it's just a muscle. I, I'm sorry to keep coming back to it, but it's about feeling safe. Mm -hmm that the, the creativity, whatever the, the things that come out of you will be embraced by the environment instead of critiqued. Yeah, that's awesome. Why do you think the topic and perceived trend of storytelling has been amplified within recent years? I think it has to do with maybe a few things. First of all, I think it's always been around. Yeah, maybe we just haven't called it that way or we haven't realized that it's always been around. So storytelling is really very old form. I mean, it's the oldest form of entertainment, I think. And we are wired to hear stories from the moment we're born. You could study it and go into the details of 
of a story structure, but we all intuitively know a story structure, a beginning, a middle, an end, a situation, a complication, a resolution, once upon a time, uh, until one day, and then because of that, because of that, because of that, until finally, these are all just other words to say, we know stories, and they've always been around. I think the, again, the combination of what I said earlier, maybe like this media changing our way everyone is a producer of content everyone has something that goes out means that the, we're, we're more aware of our own story and it becomes more needed in the way that we present ourselves to the world because it's not just our live world of the people we meet it's this whole extra world of online and and and, and a huge world out there we've had a certain um message that was delivered to us by like, let's say advertisers or whatever it also has a story but it's not storytelling it's sort of like this is a brand mm -hmm. and i think there's a bit of fatigue from that i think there is a need to connect to something in a different way i'm i don't want to say connect to a brand because that sounds a bit lame but that's also part of it i think we just we just have a need to connect in general we always have and stories are a way of, of getting us there mm -hmm. What are some of the primary reasons, do you think, for using storytelling as a tool within creative presentations or even within our own lives? Uh, stories just connect with audience better. So, and, and, and true stories are my favorite types of stories, but stories in general, because our brains are wired to hear stories, um, I mean, there's there's studies about that that like uh, they've studied like the you know what lights up in people's brains when they hear a story, and you can you can see there's a difference when they hear a story. They're generally much more engaged. It has to be, of course, an authentic and a good story and all that, but it's so much different than uh, than than when facts are presented that our way, and we have a better uh, way of remembering facts when we hear them through story. Again, it's part of how we're wired. So as a starting point, as a format, storytelling is simply more effective most of the time uh, in getting people's attention and getting people to listen for longer. Um, yeah, and a story, you know, it can be told in two seconds in one image and it, it doesn't need a lot of time. It's not like a, an old man talking for 20 minutes. It, it can be, uh, there are many forms of what storytelling could look like, but ultimately it's beginning, middle, end. It's about something that changes in whoever that hero's life is, and then some new awareness that comes as a result of that change. What practical tools and top tips can you encourage people to pursue in order to tell their stories better? Obviously, there's so much out there in terms of storytelling. We use a technique, a thing called the story of self us now, which was developed by a guy named Marshall Gantz, the Harvard guy, and uh, he works with a lot of grassroots campaigns in the US, including uh, Obama. The idea behind this particular framework is to get people to do something. Like let's say you need your team to do something or your boss to do something. It's, it's sharing a true story that leads eventually to some kind of ask that is a very convincing ask. Can you give me an example? Wow, yeah, sure. Uh, let's see, so I'll do, I'm just gonna make it up right now. That, that, that was the point. Okay, I'm just gonna do that. That's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a difficult one, because I, I do have to think ahead a little bit, because rever I'm reverse engineering it as, we're, as I'm talking. So let's see, um, I'm not gonna say what I want, I want you to do, I'm just gonna go through the story. Uh, back when I was in uh, high school, uh, we, we used to do these school trips. We once went to the desert in the south of Israel where I grew up, and it was a classically hot, almost summer day. I mean, it was 40 something degrees centigrade. They had told us to bring water and uh, I didn't. 
bring water, actually. Uh, I forgot. And so I was constantly like sipping water from other people. At some point, their water ended and we still had about another hour of a walk and it was just grueling. The sun was beating on us. You could feel your mouth getting drier and it was just, it was just horrendous. Uh, and I, and I remember that like, it was almost like an oasis showing up in the, in the, in the, in the background, but it wasn't an, an oasis. Like it was just a tent and we knew that was the end location. And we got, we got to the tent and they actually had a cold mango juice in cans. And it was the best tasting thing I've ever had. Cause it had the sugar and I it just, the, the coldness was perfect. And I was so thirsty and I just like gulped down two cans at once. Now, you know, we're here right now, we're doing this podcast, you know, our mouths get dry all the time. And we need to be aware that sometimes we need to do something about it. So my ask for you is there's a bottle of water next to you. Uh, please pour me a glass of water. <laughs> this was a real improv moment. I was going to say, uh, oh, Jim, let's go and take a shower now. So. <laughs> The reason why I bring it up, you asked like, what are some tools you can do? Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of frameworks out there that you can use to familiarize yourself with uh, a particular technique of telling stories. Mm -hmm. um, because ultimately you can tell a story for many different reasons. You can tell it to entertain, you can tell it to, uh, as a part of your therapy, uh, getting over something. And you can also tell it to get people to do something. You can tell it to, uh, to, to get your brand awareness out there. You can tell it so that, um, more people want to work in your company mm -hmm. and you're, you're talking about your values. There's so many different frameworks to use and they're out there. And it's, I think a tip would be start somewhere. Just take, take one of these things like self S now or whatever, and start practicing with a peer and, mm -hmm. and, and getting better at it and get, be in a safe space so you can get feedback. What's working, what's not working. And who's that framework by self as now? That framework is by a Marshall Gans. It's a Harvard professor. And uh, there's some really great examples of Obama speeches that use that technique. Mm, okay. It doesn't matter. Like you don't have to be Obama. Like the moment you share something personal, you can really connect to people. Mm. One other tip, integrate reflection into your life. Reflection is such an important part of growth you know you you finish a day you know you can do it in the form of meditation and journaling whatever but if you are able to reflect on why something happened why it worked what didn't work there's usually more possibility to grow mm -hmm. so specifically here if you want to become a great speaker or if or if you have to tell a, a speech or something and you're not confident about it but there's a particular person that you're like i really like this person's style well watch their presentation mm -hmm. and then watch it a second time and try to break it down what are they doing what's what are they doing on a higher level of abstraction as they're going through the story how would you call each section of the story and once you break it down into these mm -hmm. higher abstractions you can then apply that on you i i would say everybody has their own authentic way of and their own specific way of telling the story so it's it's not such a great idea to say, I want to speak exactly like that person, but you can yeah. definitely break down the way that they're telling the story and, and then apply it to yourself and say, well, how do I deliver? Um, the storyteller right now is sharing a true story to get the audience close to, to, to them. What's a true story that I could share yeah. that, would, that would do the same? The storyteller right now is yeah. using something called a bumper, like a fact that's really like staggering, that gets your attention, like, 
because it's so extreme. What kind of facts could I grab to get people's attention? So fascinating. I think there's so much within this session because we've talked about reframing, faking it into play or explore till you make it, experiment till you make it. We talked about that, that improvisation as a tool, as a muscle being exercised, have the ability to flex and change is, is going to be greater for you in the, the long run. And then the art of storytelling, being authentic, putting yourself into something and, and actually being authentically real connects with people wholeheartedly rather than just making stuff up. Um, I kind of feel like we need to rap, but I don't want to. <laughs> Jazz, I would say, is the ultimate form of musical improvisation. Mm. If you were in a jazz quartet and you could play an instrument, what instruments would you play? Yes, I'm, it's a bit boring, but I'm leaning between the piano and the guitar. For no particular reason, I'm more drawn to the piano, even though the guitar is probably more versatile. What connects you to piano specifically? This is great. This is like therapy right now. Because <laughs> I'm really thinking about it like, why did I just go with the piano? And the guitar has more movement. You're actually a little bit more exposed when you're using the guitar than piano. So yeah, maybe actually I'll go with guitar. Going with rhythm or lead? I'll do rhythm. I'm happy with rhythm, yeah. Mm. I think that improv is all about not having leads, actually. Oh, hello. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a foundation you're laying down. Yeah. The backbone, yeah, cool. And uh, do you like jazz? Not so much. <laughs> <laughs> not so much. It's not my first choice. I'm just gonna go with something a bit out there. I like uh, Baltimore with their song, Tarzan Boy. Oh my gosh. Ta Italo pop or whatever of the, the mid eighties, which was a yeah. cool movement. In itself but are you linking tarzan boy purely from the fact that i subliminally said the word monkey right at the beginning of this well podcast episode? yeah i mean i don't know if you cut this in the final version but the chimp did show up <laughs> and did a dance but uh, hopefully you're going to keep it in but maybe you didn't i don't know i feel like darren brown right now where did the monkey go i, I, I didn't even see him turn up I was genuinely <laughs> expecting someone to come to the door. Yeah, yeah, we set that expectation. We're just levitating in space right now. Maybe that could be part two. Yeah. Thank you for this amazing time this morning. It's so inspiring to talk to you. You're awesome at what you do. But I want to thank you for your time opening up your home and for being real, actually. So appreciate it. Thank you so much, Alex. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Dopa Podcast. If you found this episode helpful and inspiring, please don't forget to follow, like, share, review, rate, and even subscribe. If you have any content ideas for future episodes or you simply want to get in touch, please email alex at thedopa.com.